If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel. And this week, I want you to meet David Rogier, founder and CEO of Masterclass, the streaming platform where anyone can learn from the best. Growing up, David loved learning, but often struggled in school. Determined to reinvent the traditional model and provide lifelong learning opportunities for everyone, he created Masterclass in 2015. Masterclass has since transformed the lifelong learning category by providing intimate access to over 100 plus of the world's best practitioners, from Annie Leibovitz to Serena Williams to Martin Scorsese. With classes on a wide range of subjects, Masterclass has grown to one of the fastest and largest online streaming platforms in the world. The company has raised over $475 million in venture capital and is most recently valued at nearly $3 billion. In 2020, David was recognized on Fortune's 40 Under 40 list as one of the most influential leaders in media and entertainment and as one of Variety Hollywood's new leaders. Let's welcome David. David, we're so excited to have you. Hi, it is a pleasure to be here. At this point, I feel like everybody in the country has heard of Masterclass, but just in case that one person hasn't, what's Masterclass in your own words? And why don't you go back to the origin story for us? The idea is just anybody has a chance to learn from the best. That's the idea. The origin story is a little messier than that. It starts out, I was working as a venture capitalist uh, in the Bay Area. I was investing and I just felt there's just something I was missing. So I went to my boss and I was like, hey, thanks. You have been great. The company's been great, but I actually wanted to go start something. And he asked me what? I said, I'm not sure yet. And he's like, well, why don't you put a proposal together and I'll fund you? And I was like, I don't have an idea or team. He's like, it's okay. And he proposed it. I went and proposed to him a structure for him to invest. And I was going to go explore ideas. And I'll be honest, it was such a generous and kind act. I was floored. And I was shocked. And it was awesome, but it was terrifying. Because so much of my life, you know, I was like, you know, if I just had the chance to do something, I could do something special and great. And, you know, every time you're in school or you work at a company, you always think of things you can improve. But all of a sudden, you have a chance to go build whatever you want. And it was completely unstructured. But to be honest, I think I was most terrified that I was going to mess it up and I was going to blow my chance. And I felt this immense amount of pressure from myself, I think, to this is my one chance and I got to think of something great. And, you know, you can't ask anybody for any empathy or a hug because you aren't going to get any. Right. And, and so I really started thinking, I started thinking about, you know, I try to do what are the needs I have? What are the trends happening in the marketplace? What are other companies I admire? Like, you know, trying to do all those things. And somebody gave me a great constraint. She said, choose something that even if it fails, you are going to be proud of it. 
And I sometimes think having a constraint can be freeing in some ways because it can spark all all stuff. And I thought that was a great constraint. And um, I was raised in part by my grandmother and she escaped the Nazis on my other side, actually met in a concentration camp. It's a crazy story. And they instilled in me that the only thing that someone can't take away from you is your education. And I realized I got this one chance. I want to try to make something that other people can't take away from others. I want to try to make it possible for anybody in the world to learn from the absolute best. That's kind of where it clicked. And then all the hard part came to actually see if you could build this and make and create this. But that was kind of when it started clicking. I'm sitting here like speechless already. We were only like two minutes into this interview. And I'm like, I'm like, David, I love you as a human being. I never knew that kind of core story that really is so special. Let's quickly go to 2015. One, literally you quit and somebody offers to fund you. You come up with the constraints. Then what happened next? Walk us through that first year of just like how you actually got it up and running. So once I kind of knew that as the premise idea, I had to go figure out what it was actually going to be. Like put some more meat on the bones of it. So I posted an ad on Craigslist offering to pay people up and down around the country saying, hey, I want to hear about your education because I want to be people that weren't like me, just different types of people. And you can hear what classes were they taking that they like? What classes do they wish they had? I started doing a lot of introspection. I love to learn why don't I take classes? And you started to kind of form this thing where what if you could actually get the absolute best? And then what would it look like? And, you know, we started filming test classes. I filmed a test class with my parents and you started to film test classes to sort of see what it could feel like and be like all at the same time realizing, okay, I need to go get the best in the world. And that's going to be hard. And if I can start with the absolute best, I can build a brand that anybody on here is the best. And then I can bring on people who you don't know of, but has that brand trust. So imagine if you could actually learn how to write from Aaron Sorkin. Or learn how to play tennis from Serena Williams. And so what the idea was, okay, I know I want that. That's going to be really hard. So I'm going to plow through and try to push on that. In the meantime, I'm going to do everything else. I'm going to learn how to film things. I'm going to build a site. All with this belief I can get these top people to actually teach. Now I'll say, almost everybody said it was going to be impossible. And the same people told you it was going to be possible after it worked. Like, I told you it was going to be a great idea. And so I think one of the things I had to learn, and I wish I knew earlier, is as an entrepreneur, when people say things are impossible, it would like hurt me a little bit and it would push down my spirit. And I had to learn that you have to see it as flipped as the opposite of that. When somebody says your idea is impossible, a bunch of people say it's impossible. Lean into that because that probably means there's opportunity there. Other people think it's impossible, but you think it's possible. Now, look, there's a certain point in time or a certain amount of money spent where you might have to say, okay, everybody was right. But to look at impossible as, as an opportunity. So was working to sign as many of these folks as I could. It was really hard to do that. I was cold calling. I was cold emailing. I don't, I don't come from that world. At the same time, trying to build out the site and the content format. We got our first five to say yes. We filmed and then we launched in May of 2015. That's amazing. You've literally had everybody from, to, to your point, Annie Leibovitz teaching photography, to Serena Williams teaching tennis, Martin Scorsese teaching film. How did you get your first instructors on the platform? And what is the pitch to a celebrity instructor? What do you say to say, hey, come do this? Yeah, I think it's changed over time. 
the things that have stayed true and consistent, everybody's had someone in their life who was a mentor or really helped them learn a lot. And I think part of our pitch was that this is a chance for you to do that at scale. And in the beginning, it was like, you got to trust me and, you know, the one other person on the team, the two other people, the other people, that we aren't going to mess that up. <laughs> Just trust me. Just trust me. And that's really hard. And so I think one of the things we did early on, which really worked, is how do you attach people that maybe they actually know and trust? So for example, our first few classes that we did were filmed by Jay Roach and Bill Gutentag. His films are some of the biggest films in the world. Bill has won two Oscars, I believe. So, you know, how can you get them involved? So even if the instructors do not know me, they're like, ooh, Jay and Bill, I love their work, right? So how do you find people that you can kind of attach to it? Now, as we've grown, now it's a brand that people trust. And I say now it's changed that we say no to nine out of 10 people, but that's completely flipped. I love it. Okay, now I want to go into the user experience. So somebody shows up to Masterclass. What do you want the experience to feel like? What does it look like today? And kind of describe the things that you're most proud of in that experience. I want it to feel like the best school. I want it to feel like your dream school. And I think that's part of the issue we've had in online learning is that people, you know, try to build things look like the schools that we all were forced to go to versus trying to reimagine what school can be like. So I wanted to bring that joy back. The feeling of, you know, if your favorite guest lecture that you ever went to or that class that you didn't really care about the grades, but you just, it was your favorite class, the class you were excited to read for, or, you know, when you read a nonfiction book and you like can't put it down or a podcast you listen to, you're like, like you've already arrived at the place you're going to and you just stand outside or sit in the car to listen to the end of it. Like, I want that kind of joy of I just learned something or I'm learning something that's expanding how I see the world. I want to talk a little bit about the classes. Um, has any class surprised you in its popularity? Was there anything that you learned through the content creation? Obviously, you pick the most engaging, the best people in the world, and you put them in front of an audience and they get to teach the thing that they're absolutely the best at. But what surprised you? We do extensive amount of tests on our classes. So we like will know before it goes live what's working not so we can adjust and change. So there'll be a joke that somebody will say that like I don't think is funny in the class, but you test it and it really lands. But here's some things that are surprising. During the pandemic, we saw a huge lift in sales and people enrolling. And it was interesting which classes we saw have the biggest spikes and which chapters. So one is we have a class from Chris Voss on negotiation. Chris Voss was a former lead FBI hostage negotiator. And he has a chapter on tactical empathy. And it's skyrocketing the pandemic. I'm like, why is that chapter skyrocketing? So we talked to people who are taking that chapter and said, you know, why are you watching it? And they're like, I got to negotiate with my husband or wife or kids about who has the computer or who gets the internet. So I want to know how to do it in a way that is empathetic, right? So like that was really surprising that that's spiked. Another one we saw, especially in the business classes we had from Iger, Sarah Blakely, Anna Wintour on how to lead in kind of a new, a brand new world. Um, so those uh, surprised me. The other big surprise to me was uh, we did a film closing class with Hans Zimmer. I have a horrible ear for music and that class changed how I hear music. That's just amazing class. Oh, that is really, really fun. So at this point, you guys have 
over 100 experts on the platform. You're adding more and more. Can you tell us a little bit about where you want to go? Where do you want to keep taking Masterclass? Obviously, it's clear your enthusiasm and passion is actually infectious, but where do you want to be in five years? I think about it in a few ways. One is how do we take the core product and just expand it? So this is more classes and fields that we are not in yet. And there's a tremendous amount of room and growth there. And you're going to see a bunch of those at the end of this year. Two is how do you take the core product and expose it to people that otherwise would not be exposed to it as much? So for example, on the, on the international side, already a third of our sales come from outside the United States. Our classes are only in English. We're going to expand internationally. The neat part of that will be people who've never, you know, taken a masterclass, heard a masterclass, taken it, but also for people who already subscribed to masterclass, they're going to be able to learn from people that they've never heard of, which will be very neat. So same international, the enterprise side, and we're seeing a lot of growth there. And then three is the brand new stuff. And that's the stuff I'm most excited by. That's trying to push the envelope of tech for how and what it means to learn. But it also means how do you design a school that's for the rest of your life? And what does that look like? And for the school that you attended to for the first 18 years of your life, you were required by law to keep your butt in that chair. The rest of your life, you don't have to. So how do you build a school that you want to go to? And that's where all the fun new ideas come out of. So you're sitting in such a a unique position, thinking about education, reimagining education. We've gone through COVID. The world is changing, just truly disrupting before our eyes. I want to ask you if in 10 years, there's one or two things that's just obvious to you that's going to happen in ed tech that probably isn't obvious to everybody else. What if you could look into the crystal ball is so clear to you that's going to happen that maybe the rest of us don't know about yet? There won't be a distinction between ed tech and just education. It's going to be the same thing. Online education, online learning, it's just education. Um, So I think you're going to see those worlds really converge. That's number one. Number two is, and we're already starting to see this, the role of education is going to change. It used to be that the role of education was to literally transfer information that was either in a book or in the professor or teacher's head into your head. The internet has made information is the commodity. I mean, information's everywhere. What The job then a school is to inspire you to go access that information and two, to learn how to synthesize it and process that information. And I think that is a transformation in how we think about education, school, and learning that we just begin to see. And I think the third big thing that will change if we can fulfill our mission is that you're going to be able to learn from almost anybody. This idea that only the select few can learn from the best or only if you get into a certain place or only from a professor versus from a creator or doer, I think those walls are going to divide. Um, You know, that old saying that those who can't do teach, like, I think it's going to get rid of, you're going to have people who, the people who do do are the ones that can also teach. And then you're still going to want to learn from the professors and academics, but it's just going to be more of a mix. I love that. Um, And I I agree. Everything you just said, I completely um, appreciate that vision. Um, David, I want to transition a little bit to you. Tell us, was it obvious to you when you were younger that you were going to be a founder? Has this been a clear path for you forever? Was it an itch you always wanted to scratch? Take us back to those early days. Was it clear that you'd end up here? So um, I stutter. Uh, It was much worse as a kid. I was teased a lot about school. And what my parents did, uh, which I think had a big impact on me, was said, that is never going to be allowed as an excuse. So their expectation was when they had friends over for dinner that I would sit with them and I would talk to their friends as if I was an adult. 
And if I had a, an opinion or thought, I would say it. And my school teachers mostly did not like that because that I then started thinking, well, an adult should be just as interested in what I have to say as what they have to say, which was not the case. I, th- I forgot if it was Howard Zinn or Noam Chomsky that said education in the States is obedience training, but that's what it's kind of, kind of felt like. Um, so I think not loving of, to have a boss or an authority figure was, I think that was young and early. And I think the idea of loving to learn was always part of me as a kid. Um, I'd organize friends to come discuss different topics and themes. I'd organize clubs on it. I'd organize speakers to come. So I think that part was always there. So I don't know if entrepreneurship was always there as a kid, but I think masterclass was probably always there as a kid. I want to spend a bit more time on your parents. I think our parents did something that gave us a spark. Outside of just challenging you to be your best self, give us any other tidbits that your parents did that really became something that lasted with you. Oh, yeah. Um, my parents, whenever we would meet new people and their friends or their friends, my mom and dad would always talk about what type of career and job they had. And, and you know, it's like kind of that exposure to what, you know, different adult life is like. I have a younger brother who is my best friend. And I think we're always expected to point of view on things and be able to defend it. And I think that was a big part of it. I also think growing up with my parents and my grandparents, being Jewish in the Second World War around there was, I mean, a traumatic event that, you know, killed off most of my family, but it ingrained certain things in there, right? One, I mentioned education is the only thing that somebody can't take away from you, but two, that life is fragile. And I think there comes with that, I don't know if, if a zest or a hunger and an anxiety, right, also comes with that. And I think the other part was there is and was a lot of love at home. And, and I think that also provided a bit of safety to go explore and try new things. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Now that you are a founder, we've all heard all of the tried and true, all the things that we know. What surprised you most about being a founder? Again, you're 2015 now to today. Masterclass is worth billions of dollars, wildly successful. But what's the thing that surprised you? Being a founder is hard as fuck. (laughs) I mean, you lose friends. I've added weight. I've learned about a level of stress that I didn't know existed and a level of stress that doesn't ever kind of leave. But then the other side is just remarkable. I mean, to be able to impact millions of people, to be able to work with people that inspire you and excite you, to be able to get in the rooms with people that you admire and respect and learn from them, and to be able to grow much faster than I've ever grown in my life. 
I mean, it is addicting. So I think those kind of ups and downs really surprised me. And then the other part that really surprised me, I don't know if you felt this too, I, I bet you have, Alexa, is, I'd be, I'd be curious, the job changes every three months and nobody tells you that is changing or how it's changing. So you've got to constantly be like, if you're comfortable in your job as CEO or founder, you probably are like behind the like next curve. But if you're somebody who loves to learn and loves to create, loves to have impact, there's nothing else that is like it or comes close to it. There's nothing that's like it. You will also learn more by being a founder in a short period of time than you could by taking 10 classes. I want to ask two follow-up questions before we go to our quick fire round. So you've shared, and I love this about you, and I also, I, I share in it too. You have said that one of the most important things that you've done is having a founder coach, but also a therapist and having yeah. people that can be there to really be your thought partner while you go through it. Tell us a little bit about why. Okay. Things everybody should get. One is a therapist. One Odds are you have stuff in your own life that you need to handle and, and deal with. Having a trained professional, the same way you do for anything else, is helpful and good. The other reason to have a therapist is a lot of the issues you're going to figure out, like the, we have in work as founders, I think, a lot of the issues is, are actually about other people. And a therapist, even though they're not going to know about your LTV CAC or whatever you're trying to work on, like they're going to help you deal with the people you have to deal with at work. So I found that to be a really big help. Two is an exec coach. And I, I think an exec coach, you know, part of what we're talking about, that curve just gets more and more steep. And having an exec coach that has seen and worked with people in that transition among the curve, know what it's like next curve, it's almost like a cheat code. Like you're going to get somebody who's going to tell you what the rest of the curve is and knows what you have to work on to actually get there. So it's worth it to invest to find somebody great and keep pushing. I think the third part where I think it's really helpful is I've relied a lot on advisors. There's a bunch of tweets about this in the tech world that advisors aren't useful, they're waste equity. That means you pick the wrong ones. I think for every stage, there are useful advisors. Now, look, some you might get right and wrong and like, fine. I think what I've learned is I made a mistake. Early on, I said, hey, look, I know a bunch of smart people. Every time I have a hard decision, I'm going to go ask six of them for how to solve it, and then I'll get a clear answer. When you ask six smart people for advice, you get 12 opinions. You get stuck, actually. So what I realized is, hey, what I really need and want is for a hard decision, I go to two people. And I try to choose people who have very strong opinions who do not think the same. Because I realize what I'm actually doing is I actually don't want advice. I want to see more of the board. I want to see the other options I have. And if I can talk to people that have already played those moves before or have already played that game, like they can expose me to more. And it's not that you have to listen to what they do, but it can be like, I didn't know that was an option. Wait, if that's an option, then I can probably do this other thing, right? And so for hard decisions, I try to pick two folks that are very strong points of views on opposite ends of the spectrum. By the way, I think everybody here should take that as a life lesson. Everybody listening, ask two smart people, expand the board. Last question, because stress matters so much. And you, you yeah. even said it. This is really yeah. fucking hard. How do you manage stress? What's your one big hack for managing stress? If I had to pick one hack for managing, like only one, and I think it's a basket, but if you had to pick one, I think it's actually to learn what reduces stress for you. And what I mean by that is, is that I realize for myself, for example, I get stressed if I don't know what the strategy or plan is. As soon as I have the strategy or plan, my stress level drops by a lot because then it feels back in my control. It's just execution risk. 
So one thing I've learned is when I when I feel stressed for that, instead of maybe, you know, you're trying to go out in other places and trying to not think about it or to do deep breathing exercises, I found the most helpful thing to me is literally spend a day or two if it needs or a week if it has to and say, by the end of the week, I'm going to create a plan of how to deal with it. The plan might not have all the answers. It might be like, I'm going to talk to three people with deep expertise in this. I'm going to spend a bunch of time in Excel to figure out this. And that for me really reduces my stress. Quick fire round. I'm going to ask you three questions. First thing that comes to mind as fast as you can think about it. First question is, biggest pinch me moment to date at Masterclass? We were doing instructor prep with a new instructor, and they had already taken a bunch of our classes. And that was so neat that the best in the world would actually be taking our classes just for their own education. That was really cool. I love it. Um, next question is, and you have to give us three and only three, your three favorite master classes that all of us have to watch. You're like asking me to choose a kid. I know. I, you've got to give us three. Okay. Three. Number one, Hans Zimmer. Number two, Bob Iger. And number three is Misty Copeland. Oh, goodness. I'm like writing all of these down immediately. Um, okay. Next quick fire question. Um, favorite book? You're an educator. You love just a book that has spoken to your soul that you want to pay it forward. Exodus by Leonorus. Amazing. Um, last sort of strategic question, which is fast forward two years. How many days a week will we be in an office? Three. Everybody says three. I'm so fascinated by that. Everybody says three. And then the final question, David, is if you want to pay it forward to any startup, any product, anything that in the last year and a half you were introduced to that you think is rad, what is it? There is a company called Stash. It really helps you to save money. And one of the cool things they do is they actually have like a bank card and the places that you shop at with a card, it actually buys you stock in that company. So they actually like the places you shop are the places that you help own, which I just think is so cool. I love Stash. I'm so happy you said that one. David, what an absolute pleasure to have you on today. Everybody out there, if you haven't already checked out Masterclass, head directly to masterclass.com and become a subscriber. And you can join us next week for Ink the Founders Project with Alex Montobel. David, sincerely on behalf of all of us, thank you for everything you do. That's awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks.